Thank you, guys. This is our pregnant worship team. I think 75% of this team is pregnant or is sort of expecting in one way or another, right? Yes. Good. It's great to see you guys. Welcome to Emmaus Church. My name is Nathan. This is our 815th gathering, our 35th live stream. Thanks for joining us at home online. If that's where you are, we're glad that you're here. Uh, never know what to expect anymore, and it's really wonderful and encouraging to see so many of you here with us today. Excited to worship alongside you and, and share with you as we continue in this series on the Lord's Prayer. This is a picture of um, Hal Bonner here in a minute. There he is. Hal Bonner. The first time I went to church, I went to a church that he pastored, and this was, the first, this was my first pastor, um, Pastor Harold Bonner. First sermons I heard were from... Hal Bonner. And I think the first time I heard the Lord's Prayer, he must have said it. I don't actually remember him saying it, but I imagine because I, we, we started going to church when I was like right before high school, and, and so I, I wasn't very, um, didn't grow up with any kind of like family practice of prayer. And so um, I imagine the first time I heard the Lord's Prayer, it was coming from the, the words of this man. Uh, Pastor Hal Bonner. And, and as I said, I don't remember it exactly, but um, I do remember this. He would often end his sermons with a benediction. He would often end our services on Sunday morning with a blessing or a benediction. And he would use as the content for his benediction the final words of the Lord's Prayer, um, he, which are, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He probably said, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He's old school. Uh, and then, but, but he would, what I remember about this, the reason it's so memorable to me is he would add like a parenthetical, he would add three clarifying comments in the midst of the statement of the Lord's prayer. Um, what he would say, let me tell you what, he's, what he would say in a second. First, let me put, point this out. The doxology is what this last statement of the prayer is called. It's called the doxology, which is just a liturgical or a structured statement of belief that a community makes together. It's a statement. It's a declaration. It's some, this liturgical statement or this communal statement of what we believe. And what's so, rem what's so memorable to me about when Hal Bonner would say this, is these, these additional clarifying statements that he would make. So he would say this at the end of the service. He would say, yours is the kingdom. And then he would say, it's not our kingdom. Yours is the power. It's not our power. Okay. Yours is the glory. It's not our glory. And I felt like that was so clarifying to me. Uh, at an early stage in my life. Today we're wrapping up this series called Walking the Way of Life. We've taken the Lord's Prayer phrase by phrase for the last nine weeks. And today I want to wrap up this fall series and just offer three comments about these, or comments about these three statements. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. First, though, let's notice this. The sentence of the Lord, this sentence of the Lord's Prayer begins with the word for. Did you see that? And that's because these three statements, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, are the reason why we can pray the previous seven things we've prayed over the last several weeks. 
In other words, the Lord's Prayer begins with this address, this revolutionary address of God as our Father. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. When you pray, realize you're talking to the divine, the creator of all things, but you're invited to address him as our Father. That changes everything. And then the Lord's Prayer goes through a series of seven requests, seven petitions, seven things we ask of God. And the reason why we can ask these things of God, the reason why we can pray these audacious, huge prayers like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, and the reason we can pray these really simple sustenance, basic prayers like give us this day our daily bread, the reasons are these. It's God's kingdom, it's God's power, and it's for God's glory. This is why this is, the, this is the doxology at the end of this prayer. This is the declaration of belief. You can almost imagine some, some Roman in the first century hearing Christians pray this prayer and, and having this like, you are out of your mind. How can you possibly pray these things to the divine as though there's one, you know, the Romans thought there were a bunch. And, 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 and then this would, be the, this would be like the validation. This would be like the the reason why I'm praying to God for everything from forgiveness for my sins, daily bread, because it's his kingdom. <laughs> I don't recognize that king. It's his kingdom. It's by his power, and it's for his glory. So this is the doxology, this declaration of praise. We sing this at the end of the prayer. We pray this at the end of the prayer. The first declaration or the first statement of this doxology is, yours is the kingdom. And Hal Bonner would say, it's not my kingdom. It's not my kingdom. Kingdom is, is a way of saying, this is the way it is. Um, kingdom is, the way, is a way of saying, who's in charge of communicating the values that rule in this place. So kingdom, we could think of kingdom as a political structure. Okay. And, and there's been a lot of discussion in our, in our culture in recent months about political structures, about government, about who's in charge, about what this country needs, about the, the roles and responsibilities of the citizen, and a whole lot more. And because we live in some form of a democracy, what everyone thinks matters. We all get a vote. We all voice our opinion, and I'm so grateful for this. Unfortunately, in recent months and years, especially it seems, this hasn't led to unity, but it's led to division. And there's, so there's me, and there's the people who agree with me, and then there's you and the people who agree with you, and we don't agree on almost anything in between. There's one political perspective and there's another political perspective. They're very at odds and it seems to be about a 50-50 split between the two. I read someone this week who said, I think we have to reclaim the fact that Christianity is an alternative politic. That's what they said. I think we have to reclaim the fact that Christianity is an alternative politic. That means Christianity is an alternative way of ordering the common life. It offers an alternative. Maybe, friends, the, the reason that the church is so divided by politics today is because we're trying to force Christianity to fit into either one or another dominant political perspective. Um, maybe even worse, maybe the reason we're so divided in the church, and I mean generally, though we have faced division here as well, um, 
maybe the reason we're divided is because we're viewing, and this would be even worse, we're viewing the teachings of Jesus through the lens of our political party or perspective. In April, this well-known pastor from New York named Tim Keller, he was interviewed, and he was addressing in this interview the growing division in the modern Christian church and how this division is hindering the effectiveness of the Christian church. In other words, one of the really easy ways to counter the authenticity or the value of Christianity is to say, look, the Christians can't even agree on anything. The Christians are so divided. So he was addressing that. And in a way of addressing it, he quickly summarized this book called Destroyer of the Gods by a man named Larry Hurtado, who just died last year. The book looks at early Christian life as a social project. It doesn't, in fact, look at, it's not a theological book, it's a historical book. There's a little bit of space up front. So it's a, it's a sociology book. It's, it's, it's a book that tries to pull out the dominant behaviors of the Christian community in the first couple centuries. And Hurtado argues that the early Christian community was marked by five distinctives, five distinct ways of living. Here are the five distinctives that Hurtado writes about that Tim Keller summarized in his interview in April. Number one, the early Christian community was multi-ethnic. It was the first multi-ethnic religion in the world. It's multi-ethnic. In other words, they were really big on racial justice and equality. A second distinctive of early Christian community was that it was oriented to the poor. So economic justice was a distinctive. They didn't just tolerate the poor. They welcomed the poor. They held all things in common. Pretty revolutionary. That was their strategy for addressing poverty was we will hold all things in common. We will welcome the poor to be with us. A third distinctive of the early Christian church was that they were conciliatory, which essentially means that when you killed a Christian, they didn't come after you, try to kill you. They offered forgiveness instead of revenge. This is revolutionary. Revolutionary. A fourth distinctive of early Christian community was that they were against infanticide and abortion. So it was common in 1st and 2nd century Rome to expose babies, which means they would leave them on the road to die. And the Christians became well known for a couple of things in that regard. One was the Christians were the only ones that would bury the dead. Also, the Christians were the only ones that would pick up the babies, bring them in, and adopt them as their own. A fifth distinctive of early Christian life was that Christians believed sex was for a man and a woman in marriage. This was socially revolutionary at the time. There's massive polygamy happening in different cultures, first and second century. There's Greek temple worship all around the birth of Christianity where sexual rights are part of the worship experience. So, this was a revolutionary view of sex and marriage. So these are the five social distinctives of early Christian community. Now, Tim Keller, this pastor in New York, he makes this fascinating political observation. I think it's fascinating coming from a modern um, American. This is what Keller points out. The first two distinctives, racial and economic justice, are typically issues associated more with liberal or progressive 
American political groups. Right? And the last two social distinctives, anti-abortion and what we now refer to as traditional marriage, are typically concerns associated with conservative American political groups. Whereas the middle distinctive, which is forgiveness over revenge, that, that's not associated with anybody anymore, right? Nobody's modeling that in any kind of consistency. That, that's not a distinctive of, of anything remotely related to American political structure at all. Friends, here's my point in bringing all that up, because that was just skimming across the top of so much great content. Here's my point in bringing it up. The kingdom of God does not fit well within modern political structures. Okay. The kingdom of God, which is what we're talking about, yours is the kingdom, it does not fit well within modern political categories. And if the Christian social distinctives don't align well with modern political forms, we should reconsider Christianity as an alternative politic or as a different way of living. It may not fit well in this world. It may not fit well within the two major political platforms or perspectives. The prayer that Jesus teaches invites us to live a specific way of life, a specific reality, a biblical language in a specific kingdom. But it's not my kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's not about me. It's about God. So we pray things like your will be done because it's God's kingdom, it's not my kingdom, right? We pray to live in a state of grace where we're offering forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. That makes no sense if I'm in charge. We do that because it's God's kingdom. I'm submitting to a different ethic, submitting to a different kingdom. We pray yours is the kingdom, it is not my kingdom. Secondly, the way to live into God's kingdom is by God's power. We pray, yours is the power. It's not my power. That's what Hal would say. It's not my power. Yours is the power. Here's three beautiful ramifications to that huge truth that we live by the power of God. Here's three ramifications, three reasons that matters. One, I don't have to figure it out on my own. I don't have to figure it out on my own. Several times, I think almost every day this week, just in my context, my team, we were involved in challenging situations where the solution was not immediately clear, wasn't instantly apparent which way we should go forward, what we should do about X, Y, or Z. And so we're going to keep working as hard as we can. We're going to keep doing research. We're going to keep talking. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep working it out. But ultimately, we get to do all that within the context of this greater reality that ultimately we don't have to figure it out on our own. Isn't that a blessing? We don't have to figure it out on our own. Secondly, I don't have to be strong enough by myself. It's another great ramification of this. I, I, don't, I don't have to be strong enough by myself. I was talking to a friend this last week about whether or not he had the credibility to lead at the level he was being invited to take. Isn't that an interesting discussion? Do you have the credibility to lead at this level, the level that they're inviting you to lead in? And he said to me, I don't know, maybe I just fake it till I make it, right? And he could do that, right? He could do that. That's what a lot of us do. <laughs> or, you know, because this guy's a Christian, he could acknowledge the truth that he's not strong enough. 
he, he's actually not experienced enough. He's not credible enough, but he doesn't have to be on his own, right? He could act like he's strong enough until at some future point he actually becomes strong enough. When does that happen? Can somebody please tell me? I'm not sure when that happens. Eli, you got an idea? When you get to be like your dad's age? Got it handled, right, Jeremy? (laughs) Right, but this guy doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to fake it till he makes it. He can acknowledge he, yeah, he's not disparaging his experience, his credibility that he does have, his education, his experience, that kind of stuff. But he doesn't have to be strong enough by himself because it's God's power, it's not our power that we operate with redemption in this world. So the Apostle Paul, he's talking to the Christians in, in Corinth, and he says this. He's actually, it's the context, in case you're not familiar with it, he, Paul had some sort, of a, some sort of a hindrance, some sort of a, he called it his thorn in, thorn in the flesh, some kind of physical ailment probably, some kind of problem. It was like, it, it killed him. He was like, always ask God, please just take this away from me, please just take this away from me. Um, and, and then Paul says this to the church. He says, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect or complete in your weakness. And so then Paul starts preaching and he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because it's not by his power, Paul's power. It's by God's power. So God's kingdom is fueled by God's power. I don't have to figure it out. First ramification, I don't have to be strong enough by myself And third, it doesn't ultimately depend on me. That's beautiful. It doesn't ultimately depend on me. It's so easy to live as if the things you're working on, the projects you're doing, the health of your family, the success of your business totally depends on you. And if you are building your own kingdom by your own power, then it does depend totally on you. Okay? But the way of life The way of Jesus invites us into a different reality. He's inviting us to participate in God's kingdom. That is is fueled, that participation is fueled by God's power, which translates to confidence and peace and assurance. Ultimately, I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to be strong enough by myself because ultimately it doesn't depend only on me. It's your power, not my power. Okay, so we praise God. And I mean, I praise God for this. I consistently battle Sunday mornings. It's just what I get to do. <laughs> I battle Sunday mornings. I don't have what it takes to do what I feel like God's asking me to do on a Sunday. And so I praise God that it's not by my power. Right? It's not by our power. It's your power, says says uh, Jesus in this prayer. We're invited to pray, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and finally, yours is the glory. Hal Bonner says it's not our glory. 
Why do you begin the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name? Because we begin by giving glory to God. Why do you pray at the end, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because it's the way God wants it. It's for his glory, right? It's his glory. And not that those parts of the prayer, not just the parts of the prayer that are God-focused are for his glory, also, the parts of the prayer that are kind of about us or our needs are also for his glory, like praying for our daily needs, praying for our forgiveness, praying for help with temptation, praying for deliverance from evil. Why do we do those things? Why do we pray those prayers? Why should we seek that kind of thing for ourselves? Because this is how your Father in heaven is glorified, friends. That's why, because you're a child of God. And so God is glorified by providing for his children. God is glorified by pardoning his children. And God is glorified by protecting his children. I'm telling you, as a father, I find no greater glory than providing for my kids and pardoning or forgiving my kids so they know that this love that I have for them is not based on some sort of merit. It's going to be there no matter what. So it's actually glorifying in a sense. It brings great honor to me that I get to love my kids and to protect my kids. The Lord's Prayer begins and ends with praise, with glory to God. And for me personally, especially in leadership, it's such a healthy corrective to pray. Yours is the glory. But then remember Pastor Bonner's clarifying commentary. It's not my glory. This is not my glory. This is not my glory. This is not for me. It's for God. So that's, so that's the Lord's Prayer. Right. That's the Lord's Prayer. That is, as this third century Christian pastor said, his name is Tertullian, that's the summary of the gospel. That prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that is the summary of the gospel. That's the way Jesus' people live according to this prayer. It's beautiful. Friends, God has invited us into a relationship with him as our father. Jesus has invited us into a relationship with his father that is just like the relationship he has with his father. It's a way of life that is characterized by this remarkable fact. We're the children of God. We're invited to be God's children, to operate in life as though we are the children of God, because that is who we are. And so this distinct way of life, it may not fit very neatly into the categories of this world, it may not fit very neatly into the political structures of our system. In fact, this way of life is fundamentally different from the ways of life that are promoted and celebrated in most of our planet. <clears throat> because the reality is, this is God's kingdom. It's not our kingdom. And it's by God's power. It's not by our power. And it's not for our glory it's all for God's glory. Amen? Amen. We should be able to both rest and celebrate this truth. Okay. This should bring both confidence, assurance, and joy to, to our lives. Right. Um, this is a beautiful truth. This is a beautiful way to live. It is constantly 
um, going to be challenged. Um, but um, this way of life is, is the way that we have been created to live and redeemed to live and empowered by the Spirit of God to live. So let's do that together. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for an invitation into a way of life that is distinctly different. At times in life, we don't want to be different. This is a time in my life when I do want to be different. And I pray for the grace to be different, not for the sake of being different, but for the sake of being faithful. Give us the grace to live according to the teachings of Christ. May we engage this world with a, with a, with a new news that is good. That this is your kingdom, it's not our kingdom. And this is your power, it's not our power. This is for your glory, not our glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.